Welcome to the AFG Podcast. I'm Austin Fry, CEO of AFG, along with COO Bradley Anhouse. Thanks for joining us today on our inaugural episode. Today we'll be featuring current events, including Carol Bartz's extended Labor Day weekend, management shakeups, and some news from the home improvement industry. Then we will be talking about strategy on how to expect the unexpected. We'll be discussing a major conglomerate as well as a small carpet company. Lastly, we've got some interesting mailbag questions we will be answering for you. All right, so our first order of business, we will begin talking about Carol Bartz's extended Labor Day weekend as she was removed as CEO of Yahoo. So Carol Bartz, who was the original CEO of a company called Autodesk, she became the CEO of Yahoo back in 2009. She was removed back last weekend, and basically she had a couple of jobs to do, which she basically failed to accomplish. Would you say that? I agree. Since she started in January of 2009, she failed to do anything she set forward. She failed to increase the revenue of Yahoo, failed to close the market share gap between Yahoo and Google, but in all essence, she was basically set up to fail. I mean, we're looking at the market cap right now. This is for 2011. For Yahoo, the market cap was $18.5 billion, AOL at $1.53 billion. So they do have that little gain over AOL. But Google is just absurd with $177 billion. Like, that's – how do you how do you compete? <laughs> you can't even make a statement such as intending to close the gap because there's no way – you could even physically close that. No, not at have, all. Unless you change the game like Google changed the game. And Yahoo's just been in free fall since the dot-com bust. Right. Well, according to Yahoo, she really had two basic jobs. One was to bring up their revenues, which she did do very well with back at Autodesk. Looking at some of the numbers, we're going to look through 02 to 06, respectively. Starting in 02, she had, they had a base, net revenue of $947.5 million, dropped a little bit in 03 to 824. And then 04 through 06 just skyrocketed, 951 in 04, you know, 1.23 billion in 05, and then another 300 million addition to, to make it 1.5 billion in 06. So, I mean, it's obvious why they brought her along. Yeah, she had a proven track record, especially within the technological industry, such as Autodesk, which was architectural-based software. So they figured it was a good play for them. Maybe she could do the same utilize the similar strategies that she used. She believed in, I believe, what was called a, a risk-taking strategy where right. she said, you know, don't be afraid to fail. If you fail, don't worry about it. Just keep moving on. Right, absolutely. But, I mean, in essence, from when she was brought on, even in 2009, you slowly saw that Google was transitioning more towards other industries rather than just staying in the search engine market. Obviously, now they now own HTC. They work exclusively with Android. Major competition with Apple. And, and, Yahoo's not, and Yahoo's just not up there. No, and especially with Google's recent purchase of Motorola, they covered two of the Android operating manufacturers now with HTC and Motorola. Speaking of which, if uh, hopefully you guys know, Google did purchase Motorola. We'll, we'll delve into that a little bit later. Also, her figures, uh, Yahoo's revenue from the time she took on, granted, it was during right after the recession in late '08. Their numbers fell substantially since she was brought on to the team in January of 2009. And she just failed to perform like she performed at Autodesk. Yep. I mean, but uh, if you think about it, you know, she had really two different industries that she was involved in. Autodesk was mostly dealing with, you know, computers and software. Obviously, Yahoo's in that industry, but they're more of a search engine. They're more news and finance and 
you know, you have all of that information up there with Yahoo. Once you go to the Yahoo search page, you can see the finance. Uh, you, you have they have their mail. Same thing with Google, but Google is on just a much higher scale. Oh yeah, there's no competition. When according to their 10K, December 31st, 2008, they closed out the year with 7.2 billion dollars. And that that is just a reminder. You're about a month before she came in in '09. They closed the year at in December of '09 at 6.46 billion. And we'll do the math for you. That's about uh, 800 million. And oh, decrease. December of 2010, they closed out the year at 6.324 billion, which is another million dollar. <laughs> I mean, hundred million. I mean, this is I, it's it's just she was brought onto a completely different industry, and I just don't know what they saw in her. And all she did was lay off about five percent of the workforce when yep. she came on. That's really all she did. I mean, she came in and you know laid off jobs. Uh, but on to the next part about Yahoo. Uh, the new interim CEO will be Tim Morse who did serve as CFO of Yahoo under Carol Bartz's reign. He is coming over from GE. He's a 15-year veteran over there, came over to Yahoo uh, with Carol Bartz. And, I mean, Carol Bartz did ha- does have some interesting credentials. She was on the board of directors for many companies, all of which were internet technology companies, Intel, Cisco, Autodesk, All BEA. successful ones. Yeah, but she wasn't at the top. She was on the board of directors, yes. Obviously, she had a large say in any investor relations. Agree. But she's, you know, Yahoo and these IT companies are on two different scales. And you just, it's in, almost impossible to translate. And obviously, they wanted to become more like Google, who is becoming a huge IT service provider. And Yahoo's just not there yet. You know, they gotta. They really have to just make sure that they're competing in their market and just stay there for now because you just can't compete with Google right now. No, not unless they come up with something revolutionary, which they haven't done since the late 90s. All right, so moving on, we're going to talk a little bit about Pepsi now. Pepsi, as of December this year, will be the last for Eric Foss, the CEO of Pepsi North American Bottling Operations. He'll be replaced by Al Carey, who has been running the Frito-Lay North American division since 2006. Essentially, Force's chief role when he took over the bottling division of Pepsi North American was to integrate Pepsi's Americas and Pepsi Bottling Group with Pepsi Company, which for the most part he did, and it was no easy feat, but I think Pepsi's just looking for a different plan of attack right now right. to shake things up. And they're bringing on... Al Carey, who, as I said before, has been running Frito-Lay North America. And what I think is very interesting about this is, obviously, as we all know, Pepsi's major competitor is Coca-Cola. Exactly. And their current CEO has an excellent strategy, and basically what they want to do is defeat Coca-Cola, not only in the beverage industry, but also in the snack industry. And that's one of the reasons why I think that they're bringing on the former CEO of Frito-Lay to run Pepsi North America. Exactly. And... Also, Pepsi's main strategy, which is one of their competitive advantages, is their power of one strategy, which essentially states that they have a background in both the food and the beverage industry. Meanwhile, Coca-Cola is only within the beverage industry. Bringing on Carrie, who's back, who has been in both industries, will help kind of bring a new view, new strategy, and new eyes onto the whole situation. Right. Now, I believe we have a quote. Yeah, according to Pepsi's CEO... Indra Noe, 
she states on Al Carey, Al's highly collaborative leadership style, deep knowledge of our beverage industry in North America, and his past leadership of our Power of One strategy make him the right choice to lead this flagship business. She's looking forward to working with Al in his new role and taking our beverage business in the Americas to new levels of success. So, I mean, they're very excited about this. They are, and, you know, she lines it up well with the whole power of one and the ability just to bring in new eyes and... And we, and we all know, even despite the fact that they're bringing on the CEO from Frito-Lay, you know, we obviously know they're not going to move anywhere from the beverage industry considering how large of a player they are. Oh, no. And an analyst over Credit Suisse uh, states, Carlos Laboy, an analyst over Credit Suisse, um, he agrees with this move. He thinks it's going to be good for them. He also agrees with uh, the role change. He realized that Foss did a good job of what he did, that he just thinks new eyes will help. Yep, absolutely. And also remember that Foss did resign. He was not removed, as was Carol Bartz from Yahoo. No, and this change will take place at the end of the, He's will remain CEO through the end of the year. Right. And last but not least, in our current event segment, we're going to talk about some shakeups from the home improvement industry. More specifically, Lowe's. Now, for those who don't know, uh, starting today, actually, Monday, the September 19th, Lowe's will actually be changing their famous tagline, which was improving home improvement, which, I mean, we discussed earlier before the show that we really didn't like that. No. It was, it was just extremely redundant. Exactly. You, you, you have three words in a tagline, and two of them are essentially the same. <laughs> <laughs> but now, so what they've decided to do is they will be changing it. A new tagline, which you'll start seeing in commercials, it will now be never stop improving. So they took out the first improving home improvement and replaced it. Now it's just never stop improving. Kind of, just, it's. I think the motive behind this was to instill more people to buy and just continuously buy from Lowe's and just spend more money on home improvements instead of maybe going out and hiring a contractor or something. Right. You know, do the little things such as a doorknob or your bathroom toilet or. Right, and basically, according to Katie Cody, who is a company spokesperson, she said essentially their tagline are three words to sum up how Lowe's shoppers think about their homes and their lives. It's anything with life is just a continual. Exactly. You know, you never just – anything we do, you know, we never want to stop improving. No, you should always be better than the day before absolutely. or the project before that. So I guess it's – you know, especially with homes, everyone, the styles are changing every day, so you want to stay current. And I think right. it's kind of, you know, improving, staying current, being modern, and just being in with the times is kind of what they're hinting at subconsciously sort of. I think so. And, you know, just to – get people in the stores in this time where people really are forgoing luxuries such as home improvements and sticking more with the necessities, whether it's food. And I, I think the key was also just keeping the word improvement in there. Yeah, because that's, you know, it's Cause made... They, they are a home... Are. They're the home improvement warehouse. If you've seen their stores, uh, obviously they have their big name Lowe's and then underneath it says home improvement warehouse. So keeping the word improving in there was essential. Especially in a very competitive market where Home Depot is a very large player what's the difference what's going to differentiate right. you from going to home depot or ace or another right supply giants like that but what i do like about both of these companies is despite the fact that they are home improvement in the, both the home improvement companies they both focus on having the typical consumer working you know they're they're just there they'll offer anything they have the products but they want you really to go out and build it yourself yeah which is you know, you could even utilize it as father-son building tactic. Right. <laughs> father-son bonding tactic, excuse me. 
Which I would love to see one of those commercials, to be quite honest. That wouldn't be a bad idea. Let's pitch it. <laughs> so our next segment, we're going to talk about our strategies. And we have a couple of ideas that we have. And the main reason we want to focus in right now is really preparing for the unexpected. Uh, first major company that we want to talk about is Target. Yeah, as um, many of you may or may not know, last week Target rolled out a new line of clothing with a high-end fashion designer, Missoni. And there was a lot of hype surrounding this release because, as with anything in this tip, this economy, in this day and age, people are looking for a bargain. But people still want that luxury symbol. Right. So, Which is where you take a large brand and you bring it to Target. You know, that's, that's exactly. Where you're, getting and lu- you're getting luxury for a much cheaper price. It's been a proven factor for many brands such as Vera Wang, and Target's done very well with this strategy. Not this time. <laughs> no, my, it's... Within minutes of it launching... Target's website crashed, the shelves were ransacked, and... Basically, it was Black Friday about two months (laughs) early. And essentially, you know, people across various social media outlets, such as Facebook and Twitter, were stressing on to Target and on their pages their dissatisfaction with the way it was handled. And And you think a company this large would know to expect something like that? Especially the way that they hyped it up with the... They created a life-size, above-life-size mannequin of dressed in the Missoni right. attire, and they pumped it and pumped it, and they just failed. Well, whoever runs their servers should be fired. <laughs> <laughs> they failed to, I guess, calculate the amount of traffic that would be drawn to the server and the amount of product on the shelves within such a short time. All right, so our next strategy portion that we're going to talk about, moving on from Target, but still staying on the line of preparing for the unexpected. For those who don't know, hopefully you do know, if you're a baseball fan, uh, one of, there was a carpet company in Texas that had a very large promotion that was running from August 29th until the end of the season. What are the ads? And basically, and we're, we will play the spot. And a pitch to Hamilton. Swung on and belted. Buy new floors and countertops from CC Carpet through the month of September and get them for free if Josh Hamilton hits a grand slam. What a deal. How could you go wrong? Dad, are you crazy? And we're offering up to five years to pay if he doesn't hit a Grand Slam. Go to cccarpet.com for Grand Slam promotion details. Wall to wall, we have it all. CC Carpet, discount center. All right, so hopefully you guys were able to hear that. And the company is called CC Carpet and Flooring. It's a very bold statement. <laughs> and basically the promotion was that you would ba- essentially get free carpet if Josh Hamilton had a Grand Slam. Lo and behold, Josh Hamilton hit a grand slam. All of their customers logged onto the site. The site absolutely crashed. Surprisingly enough, they did have an error message waiting for them in the wing <laughs> that said, basically, our, use a cute little pun saying our servers are slammed up using the quote from the grand slam. And, I mean, obviously, one is Target, one's a small little carpet company. But still, I mean, if you know it's going to happen, prepare for it. Oh, of course. So apparently the owner of this carpet company now owes reportedly an estimated $500,000 in refunds to their current customers. And his quote was, It's essentially the takeaway from all this. If you place something as bold as either, you know, hyping a new luxury line or... For for a major conglomerate like Target. Or even in the small mom and pop shop somewhere in Texas or Ohio and... You make these statements, just be prepared. You need to be able to have the amount of, be able to handle the flux, influx on the site. 
the traffic and also have the amount of products you need, you should be able to forecast the products. Just save yourself the PR debacle at the end of the day. Absolutely. All right, so our last segment that we're going to talk about, we have a couple of mailbag questions. All right, so let's pull them out. And we got a good first one. And the question is, what is Google's plan with the purchase of Zagat and Motorola? For those who don't know, Google purchased both of those companies in the past... In, in about a week and a half, two weeks or so. Uh, more along a month or so. But regardless, so we did speak about Google a little bit earlier in the show and how they are in competition with Yahoo. But basically, I mean, what are they trying to do? They're, they're moving around, and obviously the Motorola purchase was an easy one to see, just trying to get the patents and move, up, move around for business purposes. Motorola has some excellent business purpose phones and basically just have the patents for their HTC brand. Essentially, yeah, in this day and age, there's a lot of deals with all these techno- technology companies countersuing one another over patents. Apple's in countless amounts of lawsuits. He, Mark Cuban, notably, he's very open about the patent issues, and I think this play by Google is just to narrow the amount of patents issues that they could possibly run into, especially since Motorola is one of the carriers of the Android operating yep. system. I mean, the other thing with Zagat, I mean, this this just seems like World domination is what they're going for here. Yeah, I think it's like an out-of-the-blue thing unless they're going to help try and use that to form some sort of Google Yelp-type service. It really seems like it. I mean, it was a nice little marketing joke on Twitter when uh, Google did purchase Zagat. Uh, one of our marketers that we follow on Twitter uh, mentioned that Google had bought Zagat, uh, responded with an ouch, and then responded after that, or should I say Yelp? For those who don't know, Yelp is the major competitor with Zagat, both in the food critic food critic industry. The main difference is Yelp is obviously more consumer-based than right. Zagat is professional level. So, I mean, the Motorola one is obvious, but just purchasing, uh, you know, purchasing food critics? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see where it goes I, I, in I the guess it do, I guess it does make sense because, you know, they can use also their strategies – they do have some excellent work with uh, the Google mobile site that you can search for food and areas like that. So maybe there is some GPS technology that Zagat does have access to that's under a patent that Yahoo, that Google is obviously looking for. I guess we'll find out in the coming months, see what Google does with the Zagat purpose. All right, let's take the next one out. Okay, will Apple's marketing strategy change? And now for you guys that obviously know that, hopefully you guys know, considering Apple is one of the largest companies now in America, uh, former CEO Steve Jobs did step down about a month ago, and then the company is now being run by former COO Tim, Tim Cook, who was the, I, I guess we can say unanimous decision, and also very highly endorsed by Steve Jobs. Yeah, he kind of, for the past year or so, has been running the company in Jobs' time of illness. Right. Obviously, with his Steve Jobs' prostate issues, uh, they did bring in Tim Cook to really run the operations as COO. He did run the day-to-day operations. The thing that people, reason why people really didn't know about uh, Tim Cook was Steve Jobs was also at the forefront of all the press conferences. Whenever he introduced something, you'd see him in his trademarked uh, black turtleneck. black turtleneck. <laughs> in terms of their marketing strategy, I don't think it's really going to change too no, much. No, not at all. Because like we said, Tim Cook's been running the day-to-day. Jobs is right. really the forerunner in the product innovation where that's something we'll have to be on the lookout for. But their marketing was really handled by Cook all right. this time. So, And now the main question that you know we really have is 
you know, Apple doesn't run like most companies. Apple has about $10 billion with cash on hand, not in assets, not in stocks. They can basically purchase a company. No, they're highly liquid at this stage. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Now, the question that a lot of people are asking were, now with Tim Cook at the forefront and at the reins of Apple, are they going to start operating like more companies have, and have less cash on hand? I think it should be the other way around. Are companies going to start acting more like Apple and have the cash on hand? If companies were smart, they would learn from Warren Buffett. He, one of his famous lines is, cash is king. Yep. When he goes in to look for a company, he's looking to see how much cash they have on hand, how liquid they are. Apple is extremely liquid, and I don't know why you would want to change something like that. So essentially the answer to the question, I, I think we're both in agreement that Apple's marketing strategy is not going to change at all. No, not at all. It worked. Why change what works? Absolutely. And our final question that we have for today, uh, this is my favorite question. I'm a huge <laughs> sports fan. This one's out of the blue. And basically we have the question, despite the NFL lockout, uh, was it beneficial to the NFL? And obviously we know that with the lockout we had a good – you know, four months or so where there should have been off-season signings, trades, things like that, that were not able to happen due to the NFL lockout. We did have the agreement that came in August. Uh, we missed a couple of weeks of training camp. But all in all, no games were missed. No, nothing and, was missed. And to be quite honest, I think it was quite beneficial. If you look at the ratings, I think it, it created a lot of buzz It did. It really it. did. I mean, It kind of brought back a sense. You know, it, football fans are very loyal, very devout about their Sunday and Monday night games. Right. But if you look at the stats from week one, it's just surpassing oh, it's, anything. Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, besides the fact that, you know, what was great about it was, as a sports fan myself, I was extremely excited on the business end of sports to know that we were going to have four months of an NFL offseason squeezed into two weeks, which was, I loved it. It was so much fun. But let's take a look at some of the numbers. Uh, this year's NFL week one kickoff weekend uh, brought in a record 107.4 million viewers. Uh, including the three most-watched uh, sporting events since the Super Bowl, which happened this past February between the Steelers and the Packers. So we'll start off looking at these games. Uh, Saints and Packers, which was the opening night game on that Thursday night, brought in a total of 27.2 million fans in a great game uh, that the Packers were able to take. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> that uh, didn't hurt it either. <laughs> uh, Sunday night game. Well, not it wasn't the Sunday night game, but it was our Sunday game, Giants and Redskins. Also brought in 27.2. That was a that was a big game in terms of just you know 9/11 memorial and commemorating the 10th anniversary, and the NBC Sunday Night Football between the Jets and the Cowboys, another amazing game where the Jets came back from 14 down, was seen by 25.8 million. So all in all, I mean this, they didn't lose, they didn't lose any money. If anything, they gained money because they signed another eight-year deal with ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in that terms, yeah. But in terms of Losing beneficial, yeah, at the end of the day, it created a fresh set of buzz uh, and really kind of just reinstilled people who may have been like, eh, it's just football, you know, I'll watch it, I'll watch it. But more people, I think, tuned in because of the fact that it was back and they right. missed nothing. And now we do have a stat, we don't want to mislead you. Uh, kickoff weekend this week, the average was about 19 million viewers for each game. That's not including the Sunday night, the Monday night, and games like that, uh, which was slightly down. It was 19 and a half back in 2010. But the Cowboys-Jets game was the most watched Sunday Night Football broadcast ever. That's huge. So, all, like I said, all in all, I mean, besides for the fact that, you know, they lost some money, there were some arguments and some fights between uh, DeMora Smith and Roger Goodell. And some heart palpitations for the major money makers in it. <laughs> there really wasn't anything. I mean, and even DirecTV's working with them. And 
DirecTV used to offer the Sunday ticket for, I think it was $300 extra a year or something like that, and now it's free. It's included in the package. Even on um, that Sunday, 9-11, Verizon Fios ran a special with uh, their NFL Red Zone where, for the day, you could watch it free. Right. Kind of give people a taste of what it's like and hopefully get some more subscribers out of that. But that concludes this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another episode of the AFG Podcast. And for up-to-the-second updates, you can follow us on Twitter at the AFG Group. And also keep an eye out for our Facebook page, which should be coming shortly. I'm Bradley Anhouse. And I'm Austin Fry. And we'll see you next week.